0: Oh, it's so good to be here. you guys ready for the word? Ezekiel 18. I want you to turn your Bible to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 18. I'm going to give you a few minutes to find that because uh, table of contents is at page two. Um, I'd like to invite you on the way back, on, on your way out, if you'd come by our resource table. For those of you who don't know me, I've had the incredible opportunity to be mentored, by a, uh, a pastor who just happens to have his rabbi training for the last 10 years, and so we come at it from that bent. I also have a master's degree in clinical psychology, so if you're sort of messed up in your head, you can come back there as well. we got something for you. Um, we use the, uh, the profit from that to help us with our mission for sadaka, for generosity, for um, taking care of the poor and the afflicted, and, and also ministering in places that can't afford it. That's what enables us to do that kind of thing, and so um, if you come back there and um, say hello, um, my friend Beryl um, has done an incredible job um, organizing all that this is one of the few churches I go to that I don't have to worry about it <clears throat> which is you can't believe how good that is and so uh, if, you, uh, if you come back there I'll be back there today to say hello and you can pick something up that will, will change the way you look at God forever and in so doing you'll also help me put food in people's bellies that can't eat so Enjoy it back there uh, We also have our online mentoring up and going So um, if you'd like to come into an online classroom And learn how to see the Bible like my rabbi taught me We've got that up You can pick up a flyer at the back Okay, uh, Ezekiel chapter 18 Before we get there We have to understand some terminology Any time term, you're looking at any piece of literature Okay, any piece of literature You want to ask yourself a couple questions Number one, who wrote it? Number two, who was it written to? N- number three, how would they have taken it? Are there euphemisms, idioms, figures of speech in the text that mean something different to them than it would to us? To to put 21st century English definitions over the top of ancient Hebraic terms and then say we're right and everybody else is wrong is ridiculous. Um, So there's terminology in in every piece of literature that does this. We just happen to be studying the Bible today. Now before we get into Ezekiel 18 we have to understand a couple pieces of terminology. The first piece of terminology is light, life, and increase, light, life, and increase. In general, in the Hebrew Scriptures, these are euphemisms about a realm of life that leads you to wholeness, abundance, completion, shalom, peace, wholeness without one broken piece. This is described with terms like light, life, and increase. It has nothing to do, in general, it has nothing to do with heaven. Like heaven someday, someday we'll get to go somewhere else, and then we'll experience the life of God. No, 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 the writers of the Bible are always bringing us back to this light, life, and increase is available to us here, now, today. In general, it's a realm of life described by a decision to live within God's ways. That if you live within God's ways, it brings light, life, and increase to you. As a matter of fact, the, 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 the center root of the word Torah is the word aura, which is light. It's, it's thy word is truth, thy word is light. Light, life, increase. At Deuteronomy 28, I set before you today blessings and curses, life and death. Choose life that you might live. And It's, it's not a literal thing because people who break the Torah, they don't die and then if they choose not to, they don't come back. It's a euphemism for a realm of life that, hey, life is working for me and not against me. Um, The universe is is pointed in my direction in a favorable way. That's light, life, and increase. The, The second group of terms that we have to understand to understand this passage is death, darkness, and decrease. Death, Darkness and decrease, so life, light and increase is a realm of life uh, that talks about um, that, that is leads to favor, abundance, wholeness without one missing piece, shalom Death, darkness and decrease is the opposite of that It has nothing to do with hell When Ezekiel is writing this passage of scripture the idea of an eternal hell did not even exist yet That did not come around until later, okay Now don't panic, I'm not taking hell from you, okay I believe in hell, alright, it's fair enough I'd hate to take hell away from a group of people going to heaven. That would be horrible. But just everybody relax, right? But death, darkness, and decrease has nothing to do with hell. It has to do with a realm of life that leads you to a pattern of disrepair. In other words, things are unraveling. Things are coming apart. Death, darkness, decrease. They're used interchangeably. So if you see, choose choose to be in the light as he is in the light. Um, Choose life over death. Choose light over darkness. It's, it's not choose heaven over hell, it's, it's choose the easier life. A lot of times we get confused between forgiveness and blessing. And so we think that in the Old Testament they were forgiven by keeping the Torah. They were not. Ever, 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 ever. If you keep the whole Torah it didn't matter. Paul said it this way, can any person be justified by keeping the law? Absolutely not. He wasn't coming up with something new. He was affirming orthodoxy. That, wait a minute, no, no, no. The the, the Mosaic Covenant was never intended to, to provide forgiveness of sins. They were forgiven in the Old Testament through faith in God's faithfulness in a lamb. You are forgiven now through faith in God's faithfulness in a lamb. It is the same exact thing. Forgiveness was never the issue. The Torah was given so forgiven people would know how to live in order to be blessed. The Abrahamic covenant was unconditional based on faith in God's faithfulness. The Mosaic covenant was conditional based on obedience. Your forgiveness was unconditional. Your blessing was conditional. In other words, you could live your whole life forgiven, saved to the bone, born again, child of God. Whatever whatever word or nomenclature you want to put on it, you can live your whole life forgiven to the bone. I'll see you in heaven one day, but yet miss the whole blessing. That that you live in darkness, disrepair, uh, um, death, like the the realm of these things uh, come over you. Whereas light, life, and increase uh, was the opposite of that. Now, with that in mind, let's look at Ezekiel 18. Ezekiel 18, verse 1. We're going to work through probably the whole chapter, so we're going to do it fast. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? you got to hate it when God starts a passage that way. What do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? The fathers eat sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As surely as I live, declares the Lord your God, you will never quote this proverb to me again. Now, quick question. The father eats sour grapes, so it sets the children's teeth on edge. couple questions. Number one, what did this mean? Number two, why is God so ticked off about it? Um, Just just to understand where these people are, this is the book of Ezekiel. The the book of Ezekiel was written to the children of Israel while they were in Babylon. The reason they were in Babylon is because they were in slavery. Now, you've got to understand their history to understand the depth of this. The children of Israel started in slavery. They were slaves in Egypt for 430 years. And then God chooses to rescue them. And he tells them, I want you to be a kingdom of priests for me. In other words, I want you to show the whole world what what life would be like if God was in charge. Now, to these people, God was someone who frees slaves. So God is calling them to, to, to set the captives free. He's calling them to free people from slavery. He's calling them to be a beacon of light, life, and increase. Did they do that? No. This is what 1 Kings chapter 10 says. It says this is the account of the forced labor that Solomon forced to build the temple to the Lord. In other words, this is the account of the slave labor that Solomon forced to build the temple to the Lord. So here's a guy who has a heritage of freed slaves forcing slaves to build a temple to honor the Lord who frees the slaves. And he failed to see the hypocrisy in it. So God says, no, 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 this is not happening. So they end up back in slavery again. And here's what they were taught. The reason you're in slavery is because David's son, they wouldn't even say his name at that time, is because David's son failed. Solomon was called, remember the queen of Sheba came to Solomon and said, you have been placed over Israel to maintain justice and righteousness to the poor and the oppressed. Did he do that? No. No. So what they told themselves in slavery was, we're in slavery today because David's son failed. David's son failed, and that's why we're here. So proverb ensued. My father ate sour grapes, so it sets my teeth on edge. In other words, the only reason I'm where I am is because my dad messed up. Interesting. They were were in... um, Slavery for 430 years, then they were free for 430 years, and then they end up back in slavery. And, um, and the prophets, while they're in slavery, start saying things like this. Don't, you, don't despair. Take heart. God is going to send a new son of David. God is going to send a new son of David. Now, do you understand why in the Gospels, which the Old Testament ends with them in slavery, there's 400 years between the Old Old Testament and the New Testament, and then Jesus starts his ministry at 30, so 430 years later, the new son of David comes around. Do you understand now why there's beggars and stuff sitting on the side of the street going, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. And you're reading that and you're going, well, Jesus' dad was named Joseph and his heavenly father was named Yahweh. Where did they get son of David? And What they were talking about was, are you the one that God is supposed to send to minister to the poor? If you're that one, if you're the Messiah, you're here to preach the gospel to the poor. And hello, I'm poor. <laughs> son of David. So, so what was going on in Babylon was this was that the the present generation was blaming their circumstances on the previous generation. My father ate sour grapes, so it sets my teeth on edge. In other words, the only reason I'm where I am is because my dad messed up. Um, Ezekiel is bringing something around that's never been said before. Up until this day, it was common knowledge that if your father sins, you have to pay for his sins. If your father messes up, you're stuffed. (laughs) You're you're done. No, no, no. It was common knowledge. And Ezekiel says, we're not going to do that this way anymore. Ezekiel's pointing out that God is saying, I don't want to ever hear this again, that the reason you're where you are today is because your dad messed up. It's not true. The reason you're where you are today is because you refuse to change the pattern your father set up. The reason you're where you are today is because you refuse to do something about it. So the exiles were blaming the exile on their parents. Is that any different than us today? My parents made destructive choices, so I suffer. My parents chose a path, so I'm paying for it. My parents set a financial path, so I'm suffering. My parents gave me nothing to start with, so I have nothing. My parents were angry, temper tantrum sort of folks, so I have an anger problem, and I throw temper tantrums. My, my parents performed dishonest business, so I'll perform dishonest business. My parents were drunks, so I'll be drunk. And it just sounds, I'm a counselor by trade. I've heard it a 100,000 times. And because I I have a counseling background, I could sit with you for an hour and you could tell me your story about why you are the way you are. And I'll understand. I will. I'll listen to it and I'll say, you know what? I understand it. Oh, your dad was this way? That's horrible. Your mom was this way? Oh, that's horrible. Oh, so you grew up in this circumstance? Oh, oh, that's horrible. I I understand how you developed to be the way you are. Here's the problem. You're 40. How's that working for you? Look, you might say, well my family had issues. All families... My my dad had issues. Well, all dads have issues. If they got flesh on and they have to pull their pants up one leg at a time, they've got issues. My dad was a great man, up every day praying for me at 4.30 in the morning. Every single day praying for me at 4.30, we had issues. He loved to scare us. My dad was a Vietnam vet and I think he sniffed something over there that hurt him. My dad would do things, he thought it was hilarious to scare us. He'd do things like hide under my bed. I was eight. Eight year olds think the boogeyman lives under their bed anyway. Little did we know that the boogeyman was actually a white redneck dude. And My mom would come get me up in the morning, sometimes I'd sit on the side of the bed and dad would be under there and he'd reach out and grab my feet. Issues. One time dad beat me, dad, dad gets up, dad, my dad has progressively gotten up earlier through history. When I was a kid it was 5.30 then it went to 5.15, I thought, now he gets up at 4.15, I'm, I swear if he lives 15 more years he's going to have to eat breakfast the night before. This is my dad. He got in there, he got in my closet, my closet opened like this, you know, there's a sliding door. He put himself in my closet in the crucifix. Yeah. So I get up in the morning to choose my clothes and there's dad. Issues. <laughs> what? What time, Dad? What type Dad? Drop me off at um, me off at junior high camp, and um, and he was he he. There was 108 of us going to junior high camp. That's two full-length buses full of seventh and eighth graders. He pulled up next to the buses. He said, "Son, I hope you have a really good time. I love you." And I said, "I love you too, Dad." And so he leaned over to give me a kiss, and I said, "Dad, not here, not in front of my friends." He said, "Okay, buddy, have a good time." So I get on the bus, and I think everything's well. Well, the whole bus is full and next thing I know, I'm towards the back of the bus and I look up and my dad was walking up onto the bus and what he had done is he pulled his pants up about this high, he had shorts on, he pulled his socks up like this and he had his hips out and he was, and he grabbed the mic to the bus and he said, this bus isn't leaving." until my Shaney Wayney comes up here and gives me a kiss (laughs) so the whole bus started screaming kiss him kiss him (laughs) issues you say my dad was a certain way I understand you say, my, my family had tension in it. Of course it did. <laughs> you have a man and a woman trying to live together. <laughs> you kidding me? Like, men and women, they're just... I mean, you, you take something like marriage. I mean, the Bible has all this advice about it. Like, th- there's one place where the, the Bible says that a person who finds a wife finds a good thing. There's another place where it says, he who marries doesn't sin, but he signed up for a life of pain. <laughs> See, so so Solomon, you got a guy with a thousand women going, this is fantastic. And you got Paul going, why bother? (laughs) Why? Because men and women are just different. Even if if there's basic mental health and basically good hearted, they're just different. Our language is different. A a woman cooks a meal and um, she, she tests it before she serves it up. And she's not real happy with it, but that's all we got. So she serves up the meal and she says, this is the worst meal I've ever made. And the man says, no, it's not. (laughs) He's trying to help. He's good-hearted. The woman says, says, "Um, can you believe how much weight I've gained over the holidays? This dress makes me look fat. Doesn't this dress make me look fat? I can tell you men have no idea what to say. If we agree with you, it's bad. If we disagree with you, we're invalidating your feelings. So (laughs) we just... (laughs) So we hear this, and so this good-hearted man goes to the uh, Christian bookstore, and he's browsing around, and he's looking around, and he sees a book, Lose Weight, God's Way, and he thinks, I'm helping He brings home the diet book. Of course, if a woman brings a diet book home to her man, he looks at it and goes, that's nice. What's for dinner? Does it bother us at all? If, if a woman brings a diet book to a woman, what do they do? They make a workout plan and they work out together. It's just when men, men and women aren't wrong, Them typically they're just different. They're just, they're just different. Language. A woman says, I have nothing to wear. The man says, you have three closets full of nothing to wear. What are you talking about? But every woman in the room knows what she means. When a woman says, I have nothing to wear, what she means is, I have nothing new. Let's, let's go shopping. Uh, a, a man has, when a man says, I have nothing to wear, what he means is, I have nothing clean. Please do the laundry. <laughs> it's two totally different things. Same word. You take something like smells. Women like sweet-smelling things, flowers, perfume, things like this. You hand a woman a bouquet of flowers, she sniffs it. Yeah, and a man a bouquet of flowers, all he sniffs is $80. He just says, Smells like $80 to me. What are you talking about? Two, two women can go to a candle shop for an hour and a half and sniff wax and call it fun. It's weird. It's weird. You never see two men doing that. Hey, Leroy, check that out. That, that's new chrysanthemum smell. Check that out, man. That is sweet. Never. Why? Because men like stinky stuff. Women like sweet smelling stuff, men like stinky stuff. Nothing funnier to a group of men than something stinky happening, that's funny. (laughs) To women that's disgusting. If a man plays a rugby match and he gets all bloody and nasty and muddy and he takes all of his clothes because he's got to run to a meeting and he puts the clothes in a plastic bag and seals it up, puts it in the boot of his car. Three months later, he's looking for something in the boot of his car, he finds the bag. Every man in the world knows what he's going to do. He's going to open it up and he's going to smell it. <laughs> Men do this. If, if you women, you notice if you get your husband to put his clothes in the hamper, if you watch him, when, when he takes his dirty clothes off after a day of work, especially the socks, before he throws them in the hamper, he'll, he'll sniff it and smell it. It's like we have to prove that we're work for the day. <laughs> and we have like three, we have like three levels of it too. Like we'll sniff it, we'll go... Hey, I think I can get one more wear out of this, Betty. This is something else, right? Here. That's pretty good. And then we got another level that's sort of like, woo, wee. And then there's a third level that's sort of like, you know what? I think three minutes in the dryer is going to do this just fine. That's us, because we like stinky stuff. We like stinky stuff. And every man knows if you get the bag of dirty clothes out the boot of your car and you sniff it, if any of your friends are around, they owe you to smell your stinky thing. They have to, oh, check that out. That is something. And we all share. And then whoever smells my stinky thing, when they have a stinky thing, I owe them a courtesy sniff to smell their (laughs) stinky thing. And men do this. That's why if if you're ever in downtown Hastings stuck at a red light you see four men in a car and three of them have their head out the window and the last one's in the back seat just a laughing, he just cashed in on his courtesy sniff. That's all that's, that's happened. So, so, when you say my family had tension, of course it did. You had a species that was designed by God to like sweet smelling things, trying to coincide with a species who loves stinky stuff. There's tension. Men and women are just different. Your, your mom had issues, your dad had issues. There There was tension in all of our homes. But at some point, this is what Ezekiel's saying, at some point we have to make a decision to live in the light and not in the darkness. You can't say my father ate sour grapes so it set my teeth on edge forever. Where does that lead you? Where does that go? Next verse, verse 4. For every living soul belongs to me, the father as well as the son. Both alike belong to me, but the soul who sins is the one that will die. In other words, the one who goes away from God's ways enters the realm of death. Um, It's not a question of who belongs to God and who doesn't belong to God. That's not the issue. Every living soul belongs to God. You want to know if you belong to God? Are you breathing? Yes. Are you using God's name to keep you alive? Yes. Are you held together by his word? Yes. So whether you realize it or not, you sort of belong to God, right? God says, the the whole universe belongs to me. The question isn't who belongs to me and who doesn't. It's the one that will choose to receive and enter into my ways. The ones who do that will live. The ones who don't, won't. The soul that sins is the one that will die. And and there's this long explanation that we won't read. But there's this long explanation. Let me just summarize it in Ezekiel 18. It says, that let's suppose there was a righteous man. And that righteous man entered into the ways of God and entered life. But that righteous man has a wicked son. Who does detestable things Will that man inherit the righteousness of his father? No For the sins he's committed And for choosing to live outside of God's ways He'll enter the realm of death But that wicked man then has a righteous son And that righteous son turns away From the wickedness of his father Will he inherit the wickedness of his father? No He will surely live For choosing to live God's ways So so Ezekiel says if there's a righteous man he enters the realm of life. And then if he has a wicked son, he enters the realm of death. And then if he has a righteous son, he enters the realm of life. That you, you, you are not stuck. You're not, In other words, the question is, am I predetermined or can I make my own way for my life? Can I make my own choices? Can I choose life over death? Or is death and life chosen for me? Ezekiel says, no, 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 you can choose. See, see one of the arguments you hear is, well, it's common sense. Like, that's just how we do things. Listen, if you ever use the excuse, that's just how we are, it's never for a good thing. <laughs> you never use, well I'm just funny, that's just how I am. Well, I'm just kind, that's just who I am. Deal with it. Um, I'm, no, it's always, I have an anger problem, that's just who I am. It's, it's, it's the stuff we do. Sometimes common sense is very helpful, and sometimes common sense is destructive. We wash our dishes around here, that's helpful. We bathe once a day, helpful. If you're here and you don't bathe once a day, try it, it'd be great. Um, We pick up after ourselves. We talk to each other in a certain way. Sometimes common sense is destructive. Everyone does shady business. Everyone does that. Everyone cheats on their taxes. Everyone does that. Everyone sleeps around. It's the weekend, right? Hello. Um, Everyone sleeps around. Oh, everyone gets wasted on Saturday. Everyone does that. So, anytime we're using words like this, we have to determine are are they light or are they dark? are they are they life or are they death are they increase or are they decrease then he goes in to this incredible explanation that i could not say any better than him so i'm going to read it uh, ezekiel 18 verse 18 just scan down to verse 18 this is what it says but his father will die for his own sin because he practiced extortion robbed his brother and did what was wrong amongst the people yet you ask why does the son not share the guilt of his father Now, you got to understand, it was common knowledge in that day, if the father sins, the son shares the guilt. God says, we're not going to do it that way anymore. Why does the son not share the guilt of his father? Since the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to keep all my decrees, he will live. The soul that sins is the one who will die. In other words, when you make a choice to exit God's ways, you enter into the realm of death. If you make a choice to enter enter God's ways, you enter the realm of life. The son will not share the guilt of his father, nor will the father share the guilt of his son. The righteousness of the righteous man will be credited to him, and the wickedness of the wicked man will be charged against him. But if a wicked man turns away from all the sins he's committed and keeps my decrees and does what is just and right, he will live. He will not die. None of the offenses he's committed will be remembered against him. Because of the righteous things he's done, he will live. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? I love it. He says, no matter how far down the road you think you are, no matter how far down the road of darkness, death, decrease, no matter, how far that road, no matter how far down that road you are, you are one decision away from entering life and none of that being remembered and the universe working for you, that life, light, and increase can be, can be released over your life. Because God takes no pleasure in people staying in darkness. It's not like God's in heaven looking at a train wreck fixing to happen and thinks, I can't wait for this to happen. No, He wants us to change tracks so that we can live. But if a righteous man, verse 24, but if a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits sin and does the same detestable things the wicked man does, will he live? No. None of the righteous things he's done will be remembered. Because of the unfaithfulness he is guilty and because of his sins he's committed he will die. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not just? Hear O house Israel, is my way unjust? Is it not your ways that are unjust? If a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits sin, he'll die. But if the sin he's, for the sin he's committed, he will die. But if a wicked man turns from his wickedness he's committed and does what is just and right, he'll save his life. Obviously, this is euphemisms, otherwise you'd have people dying and resurrecting all the time. This is, this is he's saying, look, listen, no matter how far down the road of righteousness you get, you can't ever rest on your laurels. You have to die daily, pick up your cross and die daily, stay in the light. Stay in the light. That no matter how far down the light you get, you're one decision away from entering back into darkness. And no matter how far down the darkness road you get, you're one decision away from entering back into the light. Stay in the light. Choose life that you might live. May you never say again, it's because my father ate sour grapes that I'm like this. No, the reason we're like this is because at some point we made a choice to perpetuate the horrible darkness that had been perpetuated. And we chose not to stand against it. Because he considers all the offenses he's committed and turns away from them, he will surely live and not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not just. Are my ways unjust? Is it not your ways that are unjust? Therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you, each one according to his ways. In other words, not your father's, yours. Repent. Repent is a word that just means to turn. It's the word shuv. It just means to turn. Repenting is less, I'm sorry, Lord, and more... I will not tolerate this from myself one more day. It's turning back to God's ways. Turn away from all of your offenses. The sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourself of all the offenses you've committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Therefore, repent and live. Look at verse 31 again. Rid yourself of all the offenses you've committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Let me close this out this morning with a couple of application points. Number one, all of us are shaped by our history and our heritage. All of us are. All of us are shaped by our history and our heritage. This theme of getting a new heart and a new spirit is a theme all through Ezekiel. In Ezekiel eleven eighteen, 18, it says, They will return to it and remove all of its vile images and detestable idols. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. So all of us are shaped by our history and our heritage. All of us, our thoughts are formed about what's normal and what's acceptable. Why is it that some people grow up with certain things totally unacceptable and other people can do the same thing and there's no heart to it at all? It's because of how we grow up. We're shaped by our history and our heritage. But all of us are faced with an opportunity to choose light, life, and increase instead of death, darkness, and decrease. That we have to be brave enough to take our family history and put it up against the mirror of God's ways and ask ourselves the question, how? How is it working for us? We must take responsibility and repent from these things so that we can enter life instead of death, light instead of darkness, increase instead of decrease. See, see, this is something that is different. Ezekiel's different than any other writer. And you can see that all through his life. He did crazy things like lay naked on his front lawn for 140 days, 70 on one side, 70 on the other, so his tan was even. Unbelievable the bravery. One time, God told Ezekiel to make food with poop. And he said, well, if God said it, let's do it. Um, So Ezekiel's better than all of us. Because if I came in here today and said, I've had a word from the Lord, and we've got a project, and the ushers are handing out buckets. Like, it just isn't going to happen, right? Ezekiel's different than than a lot of other people. (laughs) What we tend to think is, this is what we tend to think. And I say amen to this in some cases. We tend to think... If I could just get spiritually healed, then my behavior will line up. And, and there's, a lot of, there's a lot of cases that that applies. If I could just get spiritually healed, then my behavior will line up and come into the light. In other words, I need to get spiritually healed first, and then my behavior will come around. Ezekiel And, and yes, amen, there's a lot of good applicable things on that. But Ezekiel takes an entirely different take on it. Ezekiel says, if you rid yourself and by faith trust that God's ways are the best way to live, that the reinforcement found in the behavior is going to give you a new heart and a new spirit anyway. In other words, to to other writers, it was get a new heart and a new spirit, and then your behavior will line up. Fine, you can make a good case for that, and sometimes that's very applicable. But Ezekiel brings hope for those of us who might be struggling in that other area And he says, oh, you want to get healed? Here's what you do. By faith, step out and choose to live in the light. Choose God's ways. Choose by faith to let your behavior line up. And when you by faith let your behavior line up with God's ways, God is faithful to give you a new heart and a new spirit. So to Ezekiel, it's not get healed And then your behavior lines up. It's actually by faith living God's ways and taking responsibility for your own actions that there's something that's healing inside that action itself. I love the heart of God here. I love the heart of God here. Remember that the setting is exile. These people would have been marched from Jerusalem to Babylon. Anybody under the age of 25 would have been castrated because... You don't want people reproducing too much. You don't want slaves reproducing too much. Their king's eyes would have been pulled out. Their temples would have been destroyed. These people were in pain. Listen, some, this is so important, some pain that you go through, you just can't get healed from. Now, I want you to hear me what I say about this. Some, pain, some life situations are so horrible, get, get healed from that? Really? Some betrayal is so disorientating Healed? Come on, some abuse is so bad. Healed? Mm. Some financial situations are so t- healed. I don't think so. And, and, and that's, what, that's what Ezekiel comes about that gives so much hope. Ezekiel saying God doesn't want to heal your heart. God wants to give you a new one. In, in other words. He doesn't want to patch something that's broken and put it back together. He's just going to take the whole thing out because something, can we be honest, just need to be thrown out and rebuilt altogether. <laughs> He says, if you want your life rebuilt, here's what you do. You, by faith, take responsibility and choose to live God's ways. And when you choose to live God's ways, light, life and increase gets released over you. And when that gets released over you, the reinforcement of the behavior itself will give you a new heart and a new spirit. For God is faithful to do that. May you never say again, Bay City, my father ate sour grapes. (laughs) so my teeth are set on edge. May we quit making excuses and laying blame on the previous generation or for that matter, anybody else. No, when someone eats sour grapes, they're the ones whose teeth get set on edge. Just because someone else ate sour grapes does not mean your teeth have to be set on edge. I bless you today, Bay City, to have the courage to step into the light, to have the courage that no matter what your family tree says, that you could step out of darkness and into light. You could call darkness, darkness, and let God deal with that and let God give you a new heart and a new spirit. By faith, may you have the courage to step out and behave and live in God's ways and may life, light and increase dominate your days for the rest of your life. I bless you today to handle your money God's way. I bless you today to handle your tongue God's way. I bless you today to handle your actions God's way. I bless you today to, to be people of integrity. It's the first time in a while i felt prophetic. Come on now. You guys could do it. I speak motivationally. I speak prophetically into your spirit. If you're here today and you don't know if you could do it, yes you can. I set before you today blessings and curses, life and death. Choose life that you might live. It doesn't matter if your father ate sour grapes. It doesn't mean your teeth have to be set on edge. Light, life, and increase are there for yours for the taking. And if you're here today and you need a new heart, there's a way for it. God bless you real good. Let's pray together. Lord, we honor you and we love you. We proclaim you are king. We're humbled by you. Jesus, I stand before you now on behalf of all of us say, here is my heart and here is its darkness. I choose light. Now, would you honor your promise to give me a new heart and a new spirit? Would you mend it all up, throw it out, just put a whole new one in there? We love you, Lord. If you need in on that prayer, I just, I just pray that, that you just lift your hand or, or open your heart up to God. Lord, I believe and I agree with every person for a new heart and a new spirit. We choose your ways. Amen. Thank you so much Let me be your guest this weekend. We'll see you tonight. God bless you him speak on prejudices and, and, and bringing light into that. Oh. Great stuff.
1: How many you have enjoyed them? been fantastic, hasn't it? Eh? Wonderful. Well, we want to take up an offering this morning and also tonight just to bless and honour the man of God, honour the ministry. His uh, teaching you can't get anywhere else, just absolutely just inspiring. So why don't we just open our heart now, just open our checkbook and make your checks out to Bay City. Everything we receive in, we give to uh, Shane uh, to bless him, to bless his ministry take him around the world. He lives fully by faith. In other words, the offerings that come in are what supports him. And uh, he's able to take what we give him and uh, be able to advance the gospel in other places. So let's be generous right now. Close your eyes right now. Father, just speak to our heart just exactly how much we should give. And Lord, we open our heart to receive and to hear and to respond. Father, we have a generous heart. And so Lord, we bless yourself with a generous gift. As he goes out of here, he goes refreshed. He goes honored. He goes blessed. And he goes able to give beyond this place, to others. Lord, we just thank you for speaking clearly and sharply to us in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. That first figure, the bigger one, was the one. That was the one that God spoke to you. Just do that. Let's just stand and take up our offering, and let's play back into that song again we were doing before. It was so good. Jesus' beautiful servant. Man, there's anointing on that today, isn't there, eh?